This podcast is brought to you by Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by Ape Entertainment, who is proud to present the return of Drew Hayes' Poison Elves, available at a comic book store near you now. Oh, uh, hi there. Uh, this is Todd McFarlane. Have you ever made a deal with the devil? Well, Spawn did, and uh, you're listening to the Two-Headed Nerd Comicast with uh, Joe and Matt. Get your script open, Joe Patrick, because guess what? Welcome to episode 108 of THN, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, March 20th. My name is Matt Baum. That's at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter. And when I'm not copying my wife's March Madness bracket to avoid losing to her for a third goddamn year in a row, I write the Comic Speculator blog for WorthPoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick, that's at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter, and when I'm not fending off Matt's invitation to his bracket challenge, because I don't know shit about men's tennis, and all he wants is to take $10 from his sports illiterate friend, I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and the artist slash co-creator of Good Plus, which you can find at GoodPlusComic.com. I forgot that I turned it into a tennis reference, would make you sound even dumber. This week, you'll hear reviews of Five Ghosts, The Haunting, of Fabian Gray, and Private Eye, number one. After that, we'll review ten comics faster than the Albany Great Danes can destroy your West Bracket when they kill Duke during the ludicrous speed round. Then, we'll pay a visit to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where our college basketball line maker, Bouncing Boy, will help us learn the secrets of next week's comics, and finally, we'll curl up by the fireplace with a brandy and a couple of pugs, and a copy of Alan Moore's Nemo Heart of Ice for our monthly Take a Look, It's in a Book segment, but... Before we acknowledge that we dropped the ball on last week's St. Paddy's Day-themed show, let's take a moment to check the calendar this week to make sure there's nothing but a load of basketball going on, and then we'll talk about this week's big news. It's like we forgot it was St. Patrick's Day. I don't celebrate St. Patrick's Day. Well, I mean, but like we should have mentioned it or gotten drunk Listen, or something. We got drunk for f***ing Hanukkah, dude. Irishmen don't <laughs> celebrate St. Patrick's Day. It's for amateurs. Oh, get out of here. Word. This week, Valiant Entertainment released a simple ad teasing a new project coming in July. The teaser consisted solely of a black background that read, The world's greatest comic book company presents the world's worst superhero team. This, of course, can only mean one thing, the return of Quantum and Woody. For those not in the know, Quantum and Woody was a fan-favorite series by Christopher Priest and Mark Bright featuring the adventures of two childhood friends that hated each other as adults, caught in a freak lab accident that linked them for life, and turned them into terrible superheroes, or as BleedingCool.com called it, the buddy cop superhero comic from hell. Quantum and Woody was published by Acclaim Comics during the first Valiant revival in the late 90s, and was an unfortunate casualty of the publisher's eventual collapse. Literally no details other than the July release date have been announced, but based on the way Valiant has been retweeting the excited comments from fans, it seems a safe bet that Priest and Bright will be involved. Frankly, it would be a deal-breaker without them. So, Matt, are you as excited for the return of Vincent Van Gogh as I am? I loved Vincent Van Gogh. They have to do this with Priest and Bright. and Priest. It's isn't... not Quantum and Woody without him. You can't do it without him. Last I heard, Christopher Priest was living in Colorado... And was, in fact, like a preacher. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, he's, yeah, he's a pastor. Not a priest, but a pastor. Right. Which is kind of ironic and fun. Uh, yeah, you've got to go get these guys. You have to. Sure. It was such a fun book. There's no reason why it wouldn't work again. I'm super excited for this. Yeah. Uh, Comixology last year made the entire, or rather, uh, Valiant made the entire run of Quantum and Woody available on Comixology last year surely in preparation for this move when i saw this news like i literally my heart leapt into my throat yeah i giggled i wish i was exaggerating but (laughs) i love that comic so much and it didn't get the audience it deserved yeah it was well loved at the time but i don't know if there are a lot of people out there that still remember it i don't think it's in print either i don't i don't think it is in trades in print i I, I have the trades but i I bought them as they came out i have the issues that's how old school i am but uh i think comiXology is the only way you can get this right now that's how old school i am Whatever. What is your problem? Whatever. Jesus, this guy's been coming at me all day. (laughs) This is exciting news. I can't wait. It's nice to open with a bit of good news for once. right? Moving right along. (laughs) In DC news, the hits just keep on coming. Guess what? 
First incoming Action Comics writer, Andy Diggle, announced that he has left the title just as promos for his first issue are hitting the stands. DC's PR maven, Alex Segura, later tweeted that Tony Daniel, Diggle's artist for the initial arc, will handle both writing and art until the arc's conclusion with issue 21, which is great because he kicked so much ass on Batman. This just in, they announced today that... Daniel is also off the off oh the book. Oh my god! Uh, but that was planned. He was only always only supposed to be on for one arc. This is from the mouth of Tony Daniel himself. He's working from Andy Diggle's plot, and he's going to do his best to replicate the story Andy Diggle set out to tell. And then he's off to his next project. This is when it's a over. laughable mess. Citing professional reasons, quote unquote, Diggle wrote. It was the toughest decision I've ever had to make, especially with Superman's 75th anniversary and Man of Steel on the Horizon, but it was the right decision. No regrets. Less than a day later, writer Joshua Hale Fielkov made a similar announcement that he would be leaving both Green Lantern Corps and Red Lanterns before his first issues of either title even hit the damn stands. Segura quickly stepped in again, tweeting that Swamp Thing writer Charles... Soul. Let's would, go with Soul. Soul. Souly. Or Soul. Who would take over Red Lanterns while Pinocchio the Vampire Slayer creator Van Jensen would co-write Green Lantern Corps with Exo Manowar's Robert Venditti. While Diggle chose to stay vague about the reasons behind his decision, Fielkov was much more candid, saying, quote, There were editorial decisions about the direction of the book that conflicted with the story I was hired to tell. It's funny, I could have sworn I've heard somebody else say this before. (laughs) I don't know. And I felt that it was better to let DC tell their story the way they want it. I'm grateful for the opportunity, and I'll miss working with the entire Green Lantern team. This was not an easy decision to make emotionally or financially, but I'm sure it was the right decision for both me and for the Green Lantern books. Joe. How many f***ing times are we going to have to have this discussion? This is lunacy. It gets worse when you start to take into account the rumored reasons for why Fieldcough left the book. Like the real reason. The John, the death of John Stewart? Uh, yeah. It, word is that editorial... Wants to kill the only black guy in the Green Lantern book. Sent down an edict for, for Fieldcough to kill off John Stewart. Good God. I can't imagine why uh, John Stewart is literally the most identifiable African American character they have, and to a generation of kids, he is Green Lantern. Yeah, because of all the cartoons. Yeah, and it, it it's baffling. And so, if this is all true, I'm happy to hear that Fieldcov, you know, stood his ground. Now, word also is that maybe DC saw the backlash and went, "Well, maybe we won't do that." Time will tell. Lord knows they're turning on dimes every day. Time will tell. I mean, this is just, this is crazy. But it's very damning when this stuff happens because the comic industry doesn't operate in a vacuum. Like, no matter how much they like to keep things quiet. It's all out there on Twitter now. There's sites like Bleeding Cool. (laughs) There are, like, very public tweets from uh, creators like Rob Liefeld and uh, Mark Wade to Andy Diggle saying stuff like... You made the right call, man. I've been there. Yeah. You know, and what else are you supposed to take away from that? This is insane. I can't, I'm, I realize I'm repeating myself, but this, this goes more and more towards your conspiracy theory about this upper management that is just throwing ideas down at the writers and saying, now do this, now do this, now do this. These Hollywood guys that don't know shit about comic books yeah. coming in and trying to tell really talented writers like Andy Diggle and Joshua Hale Fielkov, who... It was one of like the bright lights in that relaunch. Right. I Vampire was excellent, really well done, and yeah, it wasn't. It didn't sell well. It got canceled. But this is a guy that they could really build a future with. Yeah. And yeah. Guess what? He's gone. There's just a lot of ill will aimed at DC right now, and it's hard not to just get wrapped up in it. And I know that we talk about it a lot. I know, but it, how can but, we not? Like, I here's the thing. I don't want to be talking about how awful it is no. to be at DC right now or to be a DC fan right now. There was a lot of talk some weeks ago about the recent DC Creative Summit in Charlotte where apparently they made a bunch of promises to creators like, we're going to let you guys run with the ball. We're not going to be as controlling. And like one... That one, seemed to have lasted for seven days. <laughs> uh, yeah, one, one unnamed uh, yeah, uh, creator told Rich Johnston that it lasted all about four, of all about four days before they pulled the rug out from under him. Yeah. 
I, I don't understand. You have a Superman movie coming. The relaunch of your Superman franchise is coming to theaters very soon. Marvel is giving us the Guardians of the Galaxy, which 99% of the population of the United States have never f***ing heard of. Right. All right? And they are doing an amazing job with all their comics leading up to this, hyping this, letting the creators give us a great product. Superman, the first superhero, DC's linchpin, is failing. This is embarrassing. In comic form. In comic form. Yeah, I agree. I've recently been rereading old DC comics because it's really all I have. Yeah. I've been tearing my way through the Jeff Johns era JSA and uh, the um, the John Byrne Superman from the immediate post-crisis. That stuff is so good. It was the best example of a reboot done right. And you know why? Because they let John Byrne work. Yes, they They, did. And they let Jeff Johns work. And it's this kind of nonsense, this micromanaging, that is keeping guys like Mark Wade. I mean, I know Mark Wade's got a lot of other beefs with DC, but guys on the caliber of Mark Wade, Nick Spencer, who left DC uh, even before the reboot, uh, because of this sort of nonsense. I predict they lose Justin Jordan any day now, too. And as much as I like Joshua Helfieldkov and Jeff Lemire and Justin Jordan, and it's certainly no offense to these guys, you can't keep shuffling deck chairs on the Titanic. No. You can't keep moving the same four guys around. You need to get either some big names or some really talented new blood, and I don't see DC doing much of either. No. As long as people continue to buy the new 52 books in droves... Their sales are slipping. Big Yes, time. but not enough, right? No, not enough, no. It's like, for many, many years, even through all of the Chuck Austin nonsense, Uncanny X-Men is still a top 10 book. Right. It, like People will buy it because they don't want to break their runs or whatever. Unless readers start start voting with their wallets this sort of thing will not change so you heard it here first boycott dc comics joe patrick says dc boycott i didn't say dc boycott. there it is folks (laughs) finally in a move literally no one saw coming marvel comics has announced that angela yes that angela when we say that angela we mean the scantily clad angel from spawn spawn (laughs) will be appearing in the final issue of Age of Ultron, likely as part of the heavily teased secret unknowable ending that none other than Joe Quesada could be trusted to illustrate. (laughs) Following Age of Ultron number 10, Angela will move on to Guardians of the Galaxy number 5. Where she belongs. Which will be co-written by the creator of the character, one Neil Gaiman. Gaiman's work for Marvel in recent years was used to fund his highly publicized legal battle against Todd McFarlane for ownership of a number of characters, including Angela. It looks like that work paid off because Gaiman apparently has 100% ownership of the Angela concept. Now, Matt, last week you professed a long-held love of Spawn. It's true. And it's rich mythology. I can't get enough of that Spawn stuff. (laughs) I I know, gross. I know that Angela was a hot character for five minutes in the 90s, but in 20 years, she's barely appeared in 20 comics. I counted. How can this news be as big as Marvel is making it out to be? This news has to be a bait and switch for the surprise that Miracle Man is coming. I think it is. I think it's a given. It's got to be a tease. That Neil Ga- Neil Gaiman owns his stuff, can do whatever the hell he wants with it, so much so that he's gonna fart Angela in the Marvel universe, and maybe she gets killed an issue later or something. No, like maybe Miracle Man tears her in half. No, I don't know. no, no. Like word word from Marvel now that the news is out is that the one thing we do know is that Angela is only a small part of the mystery ending because Miracle Man's gonna tear her in half, and that Angela will be prominent in the Marvel universe. She's gonna maybe like bounce from book to book, appearing here and there. All right, but, but probably of that, I think I think that this is a preamble. To the return of Miracle Man. It has to be. Because why else would it matter? It has to be. And this has and this strikes Not me, that Miracle Man and Angela had anything to do with each other other than Neil Gaiman. This strikes me as Gaiman rubbing it in McFarlane's face. <laughs> well let's not let's not get read into conspiracies. I'm not just re- I mean, what else why, would like, it be? why why wouldn't Gaiman use his characters now that he finally has control of Angela? Them? Freaking Angela? Of all the characters Neil Gaiman has, Angela? Well, but Good God. <laughs> the, the characters that he fought so hard for were Angela, that bum that was the mentor for Spawn, Cagliostro or whatever, Cagliostro, oh, yeah. Cagliostro. and Miracle Man. And 
But I think now it, that it seems that things have been resolved, he's got to use them somewhere. I think he what he was doing was not because he loved the creation so much, but because he did not feel he was fairly paid for what he did for Todd McFarlane. And the point is, I mean, to borrow a line from Goodfellas, you pay me. <laughs> that is the big news for this week. And if you'd like to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, head over to our Facebook page where we've got a link to John Leguizamo and Martin Sheen's Kickstarter project where they're trying to raise enough money to destroy every copy of Spawn the movie in existence. Good luck, fellas. Each week, my star point guard, Joe Patrick, posts the question of the week on our Facebook and Twitter. And we not only read your responses, but if you call us on Skype... Please call us on Skype. Our Skype name is Two-Headed Nerd. And leave us a message. We'll play them on the new Answer of the Week audio blog exclusively at TwoHeadedNerd.com. Joe Patrick, what the hell did we ask these nerds this week? This week's question was, which comic book character would you like to see switch universes just like dear old Angela? (laughs) And if you want to hear us making fun of your answers along with our own uninformed responses, go to... TwoHeadedNerd.com and check out the unedited, not safe for win, comma, Jason. That's horrible. The answer of the week, Spawn Reference, the answer of the week audio blog on Wednesday. You have until Tuesday, March 26th to get your answer in. So don't uh, don't think the deadline's passed. You got lots of extra yeah, time. Keep it coming. Yeah. It's review time on THN where Matt and I take two comics to the paint and dunk on them in front of an international audience while hanging onto the rim and smashing our crotches in their faces. Oh, damn. I did not read that in advance. Yeah. Matt, what comic did you choose to review this week? This week, I read Five Ghosts, The Haunting of Fabian Gray, which is kind of a weird title. Isn't it Five Ghosts, The Haunting of Fabian Gray? I think it's comma. Maybe it's colon. Five Ghosts, The Haunting of Fabian Gray, written by Frank J. Barberi with art by Chris Mooneyham, which is now officially my favorite last name. Mooneyham's over Miami. Oh, that was really bad. No. I was just going to say I like saying his name out loud, and you had to make Moon's a, over my Mooneyham? And you had to make a village my, joke. Here's your solicit. It's Denny's, sir. Whatever. Denny's. Here's your solicit. A bold new era of pulp adventure comics begins here. After a tragic... That was all caps. That's why I yelled it. After a tragic encounter with an artifact known as the Dreamstone, infamous treasure hunter Fabian Gray was possessed by five literary ghosts and has been granted access to their unique abilities. Join writer Frank J. Barberi, also in caps, and artist Chris Mooneyham for the most exciting debut of 2013 as they, they introduce they you it. to a unique world full of action, black magic, exotic locales, and literary illusion. Illusion! Think cowboy ninja viking with two more personalities and less humor, and you've got a good idea of what's going on here. Fabian Gray is a treasure hunter possessed by five ghosts, an archer, a wizard, a vampire, a sam and a detective, all of whose skills he can call upon when necessary. Of course, there's a catch. The ghosts may be killing him. It ain't, it ain't good. I'm guessing the literary illusion the solicit mentions is in the form of the ghosts who, and this is just a guess. They didn't say, but it's got to be. They might be Robin Hood, Merlin, Dracula, a samurai, and Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know any literary samurai. I don't either. I'm just spitballing here, but the villain of the comic's name is Iago, who was one of Shakespeare's most sinister villains from his play, Othello. Good research. Other than that, not much literary illusion going on. But I do like what is happening here. This is Barbary and Mooneyham's first major comic work, and so far. They're off to a great start. Barbary's writing style has this very classic 80s feel that reminded me of some of the old Marvel epic titles. It's gritty. There's, I mean, this isn't necessarily for mature audiences, but there are some curse words. There's no nudity or anything, not a lot of violence, but it is pretty gritty. Our hero, Gray, is a very sullen and not so much empowered character, but more suffering from the possession. The story jumps all over the globe in a very Indiana Jones style and seems to take place around the same era. I'm saying possibly World War II. They never really set us up. He does fight Nazis. But there did appear to be some pot helmet Nazis walking around. 
Mooneyham's art grew on me very quickly. I wasn't crazy about it at first, but the more I looked at it, he has this very loose style that sometimes reminded me of Tim Sale, and other times it was really gritty and chunky, like Frank Miller's Daredevil work or Howard Chaikin's classic American Century. American Flag. Pardon me, American Flag. American Century was a different book he did. He wrote it. Yeah, that's right. It was a Vertigo book. The Color Assist here by S.M. Vidauri? Vidauri. Vidauri are fantastic, and they really furthered the Tim Sale feel to this book, specifically reminding me of Sale's Long Halloween. The way the coloring is very dark, monochromatic, and subdued, and it has these flashes of orange and red to express urgency or danger. I really really enjoyed this the art the story the characters the whole package including the logo and graphic design which was great a guy named dylan todd did it i went to his website he's very talented yeah it looked like an old pulp very much so it reminded me of like the uh, boris karloff the gold oh, key boris yeah, yeah, karloff yeah, yeah, yeah. book it looked very similar to that five ghosts looks like it's going to be really good creepy fun and it's got this really fun classic 80s comic feel that we just don't get very often anymore. I'm giving this a huge buy it. Yeah, I liked it too. I was uh, excited about it from the solicits. Uh, I'm happy that it was as good as it turned out to be. I agree about the art. I, I To me, it feels kind of European, and I don't know... Yo, no, I'll give you that. Yeah, um, It's just it's a different look than a lot of today's modern comics. The story was super fun. I like the idea of him being able to access the ghost's abilities. Right. Uh, but that there's definitely a price to pay, and sometimes he wigs out and yeah, he needs to get clocked really on the head with a inopportune time. <laughs> yeah, so I'm giving this a bite as well. It was good fun. Go pick this up as soon as you can because it's sold out of diamond. This could be another one of those image number ones that's selling for 20, 30 bucks in no time. Oh, yeah, check it out. What are you reviewing this week, Joe Patrick? My review this week is of the Private Eye number one, uh, not really uh, from any specific publisher. It is from the Panel Syndicate website, written by Brian K. Vaughn, with art by Marcos Martin, and colors by Munza Vincente. I wish it was Munster. Munster. What a monster! Flip that T and S around, and it'd be <laughs> sweet. Panel Syndicate is the uh, little collective uh, that Vaughn and Martin formed for this very purpose, putting out this one book. A digital collective. The Private Eye is set in a future world where the cloud... You know, the information cloud that we have now backfired and released everyone's darkest secrets into the world. And now privacy is more fiercely guarded than ever. And professional snoops like Patrick Immelman, which is definitely not his real name, are treated like criminals. Like any good detective story, when a foxy dame hires P.I. for a case, he gets wrapped up in something way more dangerous than he bargained for. This series appeared almost out of nowhere this week. Brian K. Vaughn announced an upcoming project with Marcos Martin sometime back, but no real details were given. Flash forward to this past Monday, and three teaser images for The Private Eye hit the web. And then suddenly, on Tuesday, the first issue f appeared fully formed as a DRM-free digital comic available for purchase via a pay-what-you-want system in a multitude of different languages. It seems really ingenious. Vaughn and Martin are both big names, so this project is getting a lot of attention. If it's successful, it could be a real game changer for comic creators that want to retain 100% ownership of their work. But how's the story? Well, it's pretty good. <laughs> Tell us. It's pretty good for a first <laughs> issue. Uh, much like Saga, it has a great hook. This time, it's a pulp noir detective story set in the future. I love... All of the little conceits of this world, uh, privacy is everyone's number one priority, so they all walk around in disguise. Ridiculous disguise. More than that, not just disguise, but in costume. Uh, the legitimate press appear to have been elevated to some sort of law enforcement status, a lot like the FDA in Chu right. is now a law enforcement agency. A PI's grandfather is an elderly tattooed hipster who would have been our age today. And he calls everyone dude and keeps talking to his ancient iPhone that stopped working 60 years he's, ago. He's Keith Binder. He is old Keith Binder. He's old man Keith Binder. Absolutely. Uh, it doesn't quite have the heart that a lot of Vaughn's other work does, at least not yet. We should also, I should also stop you and say, I don't think that Immelman, the main character, is a PI. I think he is paparazzi. 
He's well, like, like they refer no, to him as paparazzi, but like the legitimate journalists are like, I think we got a case of paparazzi here. No, I know. <laughs> I'm know? not. I don't mean that he's a PI in right. the case of a private investigator, but that's how he refers to himself. He right. gives the name Patrick Immelman mm-hmm. on the door of his office is the pie symbol, right? Like the numerical pie symbol. Yeah. P.I., get it? Yeah. The Private Eye. The name of the book is also The Private Eye. I got it. You asshole. (laughs) Naturally, the art by Marcos Martin is amazing. Uh, The artist utilizes the format really well. It's all landscape, so you you have to uh, tilt your tablet sideways. Which is a brilliant idea. And it's like a widescreen comic. Each turn of the page seems to have been meticulously planned. Uh, The final page took my breath away. Not because it was a huge twist, but because I literally didn't see it coming because I didn't have to physically turn the page, you know? So it just, like, appeared before me, and I wasn't ready for it. It was very, very well done. Uh, this is the first of what Vaughn and Martin or Martin are hoping to be a 10-issue series, and I think they're off to a great start so far. It's exciting to see a couple of big-name creators trying so something so different uh, they aren't the first creators to head to the web, but this is definitely an interesting twist on the digital comic model. Of course, you should buy it, and don't be a jerk about it. I kicked them four bucks for this issue. I paid five bucks. There you go. Yeah, and that was. Oh, my, you paid for it too. I paid for it too. That was even the first though question. I put my file in the Dropbox for you to read. I paid for it. Hey. The first question I was going to ask you was, how much did you pay for this? I paid three ninety. Uh, I mean, I, essentially three ninety nine. Yeah, I paid five bucks without even knowing what I was getting into because I trust both these guys. Yeah, and uh, I should also say that unlike a lot of original digital content uh, that is being put out right now and sold for like a dollar, this is 32 full pages. Yeah. It's not it's it's not 16 pages. It's a full-length comic book with no ads. Yeah. So not only is it longer than a normal digital comic, it's longer than most regular comics as well. Yeah. Because those they, are only 20 pages. And very cool. Uninterrupted, beautiful to look at, perfect for tablet reading. Like they thought about it. They knew this was going to be on your iPad. And it's perfect. It really is. I before I get into the story, I I just want to say how awesome this idea is. And it's not a real new idea. Radiohead did this a couple of years ago with an album release. Oh yeah. Where they said screw you to their major label and just released their record on the web and said, pay whatever the hell you want for it. Nine inch nails did the same thing. And Trent Reznor, the who is Nine Inch Nails, came out after he released that record and said he made more money in two days releasing that record sure. than he made on any of his other records. That includes Pretty Hate Machine, which was a platinum record. Well, because he didn't have to give huge he's, chunks of it to the record company. He's not sharing anything. He owns 100% of this. This yeah. is brilliant. This is a fantastic grassroots punk rock way to make comics. You can, yeah. They could do whatever they want. They can do it on their own terms. They could do it without any editors. I think this is brilliant. Now, I don't know if it'll necessarily work for every creator because... You're going to have to have a name. That's the catch. Well, I'm speculating here, but Brian K. Vaughn can probably afford... Oh, sure. ...to produce something sure. that's free on the front end. That's part of it. You're going to have to have a name. As opposed to a lot of guys that have to do Kickstarter right. to fund I Need to Live... So that I can work on this book and publish it. Well, it, yeah, I mean, it's and no, the two bands I named were Radiohead and Nine Inch Nails. Of course, Pretty huge damn names. Yeah, well yeah, yeah. named, you know, big names. So who knows if like Martini even got paid? Maybe Brian Vaughn paid him. Maybe they get paid on. They, maybe they just get paid on the back end. Maybe they've been working on it for so long that it's one thirty-two page comic. Who knows when the next one will be out? Right. He may not have had like distress about the deadline or anything like that. Well, I mean, it, it almost doesn't matter. All business aside, this was an excellent read. I loved it. It was catchy. The the idea behind the story is very simple, but it works, and it was so yeah. fun. I, I think this is going to be a blast, and I can't wait for more. Gigantic buy it for me. Give these guys five dollars. They, they deserve it. So that's a double buy it for five ghosts and for the private eye. Of course, we want to know what you possess, treasure hunters, and private dicks thought of this week's comics. So, send us pics of our wives cheating on us, along with your opinions. That's what private dicks do. Uh They photograph your wife cheating on you. Over at the comments section for this episode at TwoHeadedNerd.com. I don't think my wife's cheating on me. Well, I mean, if she is, the private dick will let you know. That's what they do. I guess, thanks. Thanks, thanks, I guess. Private dicks. Say it with me. 
I got it. Yeah. DJ and I are calling your asses out to the court. We've got our sweatbands, our impossibly short 1970s NBA shorts, and of course, DJ's wearing his funny sports glasses. Yeah, Rex specs, y'all. And we're going to make a fast break in the last second of our first tournament appearance where Joe will make an incredible inbounds pass to me as I go streaking down the court only to completely miss the winning duck because I'm five foot three inches tall and there's no way I'll ever dunk a basketball. <laughs> All while reviewing 10 comics during this week's ludicrous speed round. I hope you didn't take us very far in your brackets. Action Comics, number 18, from DC. This is the final issue of Grant Morrison's Action Comics, and I have read the last 10 issues. The good news is, he explains everything. (laughs) I have read the last 10 issues in the last two days, and I don't know where I am, or what my name is, or if up is down, or anything. Whackable. It's weird, (laughs) it's weird ass crap. Listen, Grant Morrison's Action Comics started really strong and fun. I have to say, it was kind of an incomprehensible ending. It kind of wandered off. However, it did have those moments of heart that I appreciated from the beginning of his run. So I'm giving it a skim. It's I not would, a leave it, but it's it's not as great as his some of his other runs. I would argue he delivered exactly what he said he was going to do, a weird Silver Age run. He did it. It was fun. It was bizarre, but it was fun. they buy it for me. Almost too bizarre, though. G.I. Joe, Special Missions, number one, IDW. Writer Chuck Dixon and artist Paul Galassi get their own Joe title that seems to run parallel to Van Lenti's new Joe title. I'm not positive on that yes. one, Yes. No. This one follows a covert Joe team called the Snake Hunters as they track the Baroness. I really like this. Dixon has always been good with military jargon in the shows here, and Galassi, who I haven't cared for since his work on Turok back in the 90s, looks really good here. Buy it. Hey, Joe Patrick, tell me about Constantine, number one from D.C. Well, okay, this is the much-publicized entrance of Constantine into the D.C. universe. Well, he's been around for a while, but now the vertical version is gone. Dead. Forgotten. Murdered. Yeah. Uh, and we have this Constantine in his own title. I have to say, it was pretty good. Yeah. It's very well written. Have it ready. Jeff Lamar and Ray Fox, art by Renato Geddes. Guidis. Guidis. <laughs> and it's a lot of fun. It, it sounded like Constantine without the cursing. I don't know. I'm giving it a buy it. Jeff Lemire can't write everything. I know, but I'm giving it a buy it. It was fun. I think it's better than you expect. Your, people are expecting. Fair enough. All crime, number one, art of fiction. I'm betting most of your comic shops did not order this one. Ours did, and hats off to them. Art of fiction is a new company. This was a big, thick, very high-quality paper stock book with a cover by Bruce Tim. kids. Great interior art by two different artists and a kick-ass crime story to boot. This had a great old-school EC crime comic feel to it with an updated hard-edged story about an extremely long con and getting even. And, of course, there's a gorgeous dame. Buy it! This was awesome. Exo Manowar number 11 from Valiant. Uh, This is the first issue of Exo Manowar that I've read since number one, but it is the uh, beginning of Planet Death. And so I gave it a try. There's a great recap page that gets you right where you need to be. The script and story is awesome. Exo Manowar is mad as hell, and I've, he goes back to the place that invented the Exo armor, and he starts murdering everyone. He's been doing that for 10 issues now. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, a great book. So it was a lot of fun story-wise. The art, I had to double-check. It says on the cover and inside that it's by Carrie Nord. It doesn't look like it. It is not strong. It is it, not good work. It doesn't look like Carrie Nord. It's muddy and way too inky. I don't know. It's not the Carrie Nord I remember. I don't know if it was rushed or what. Still, I liked the story a lot. I'm giving it a buy it. I think that the story is just that good. I'm on board for XO. Extermination number one from Marvel. This felt rushed, a bit unnecessary. If you weren't reading Uncanny X-Force, Age of Apocalypse, Astonishing X-Men, and Extreme A X-Men, and chances are you only read the first one I named, you might feel pretty lost here. I like this version of Nightcrawler, but not where the characters ended up. This feels like a last hurrah for three X titles that no one cared about, and they didn't care about for good reason. Leave it. Star Wars Legacy, Prisoner of the Floating World, number one from Dark Horse. God, they love long Star Wars titles. <laughs> this is the Star Wars comic set in the future. This one is 150-odd years beyond Return of the Jedi. 
And so it stars the descendant of Han and Leia, not even the... Oh, I thought it was like a granddaughter. Not even like the daughter or granddaughter, like oh. many years past. Okay. Second cousin of Han and Leia. It's <laughs> twice removed. <yeah. laughs> it's co-written and drawn by Gabriel Hardman. Yeah. Very unexpected. Gabriel Hardman. Wonderful art. Love it. A lot of fun. Star Wars comics at Dark Horse can be kind of hit and miss, but when they hit, they hit big. This is a huge buy it from me. Kiss them goodbye. Poison Elves number one from Ape Entertainment. This is the return of Drew A's Poison Elves. He's not writing it from the grave. They've got some new people doing it. And you know what? They do a really nice job. And it delivers exactly what it says it does. This is a direct continuation of Poison Elves. Now, I admit, I was a little overwhelmed because I never read Poison Elves. But I could follow this. It was well done. There were two different artists, Montos being one of them, who's really good. I like that Montos. The second one... Also good. Not as good as Montos, but good. I'm giving this one... If you're a Poison Elves fan, I've qualified it. If you're a Poison Elves fan, buy it. If you're like me, you don't know much about Poison Elves, skim it. That's a skim it. Captain Marvel number 10 from Marvel! I think it's Captain Marvel number 11. I think it's Captain Marvel number 11 from Marvel! Do a lot of work here, folks. We talked about... Preparation! <laughs> this was a last-minute edition. I was going to talk about Justice League of America number 2. But it sucked! Because it had the first installment of the Martian Manhunter backup by Matt Kent. Which didn't suck. It No. But Captain Marvel is so good, I wanted to talk about this one instead, because this book is not getting the attention it deserves. No. Kelly Sue DeConnick and Christopher Sabella are co-writing it. Uh, the art is by Philippe Andrade. Uh, we talked about it last month while Matt was gone, me and Keith Silva. This book continues to be wonderful. I want to go back and catch all the ones that I missed. Too many art changes. There was one art change. It went from Dexter Soy, who we hated, oh, I thought there was to like, Philippe Andre, I there who I love. Three. No, I don't think so. Okay. Well, but we haven't been reading it, so what do you care? Fair enough. Anyway, this is great. It's about uh, a girl. I don't care about girls, Joe. <sighs> Stop it. <laughs> this book is heartwarming, fun, action-packed, hilarious, beautifully drawn, huge by it. If you aren't reading Captain Marvel, you're making a mistake. Yeah, I gotta catch up. Check on it book. out. I'm sick of people telling me how great it is. Wild Rover, one shot from Dark Horse. This is Michael Avon Oming writing a story about an alcoholic who finds out his family's history of alcoholism is because of a demon. <laughs> Dang! The story was not exceptionally compelling, I wouldn't say. And I've kind of fallen out of love with Michael Avon Oming's writing. That said, his art here is beautiful. This is fantastic artwork by Michael Avon Oming, but I can only give it a skip. Also, this is reprinted from Dark Horse. Also, it's if you had didn't read it in Dark Horse Presents, it's new to you. <laughs> there you go. That's my favorite phrase. <laughs> that is your ludicrous speedrun, and Ugh! it's a sound made by Doomsday when Superman punches him in the face as seen in this week's Action Comics, number 18. I th- it's, Joe Patrick shaking his head because it wasn't really Doomsday. It may be Doomsday. I don't even know. It could have been another Doomsday alien thing. It's and so confusing, I can't even tell you. Wackadoo. It's a Nazi Superman from a parallel dimension with a Doomsday face. <laughs> How's that for explana- <laughs> explanation? It's that time of year again, where Matt and I enter the Legion of Superheroes March Madness bracket pool. That means hours of research and chemicals to keep us awake and focused. So join us in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where our favorite college hoops handicapper, Bouncing Boy, will be previewing all 64 games of the second round and feeding us 31st century meth to help us to finally end Princess Projectra's winning streak. And he's also let us snoop through his comic collection, which just so happens to include all of next week's comics. He's from the future, yeah, you know. from the future. I mean, he's, Matt, ar- he's already got him. We got it. <laughs> Matt, who's in your final four? And what are you reading next week? I've got Valpo going all the way. I don't know what that means. I know. They already lost today. My pick for next week, Guardians of the Galaxy, number one from Marvel. Written by B.M. Bendis, with art by Steve McNiven. Here's your solicit. There's a new rule in the galaxy. No one touches Earth. No one! The two exclamation points. Why has Earth become the most important planet in the galaxy? That's what the Guardians of the Galaxy are going to find out. Join the brightest stars in the Marvel Universe. <laughs> Might be stretching it a little bit. Star-Lord, Gamora, Drax, Rocket Raccoon, Groot, and Angela. And wait for it, Iron Man. <laughs> as they embark upon one of the most explosive, eye-opening chapters of Marvel now. I like to say it like Tony Danza. Yeah. Angela. 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 <laughs> 
these Galactic Avengers are going to discover <laughs> secrets that will rattle Marvel of readers for years to come. Why wait for the movie? It all starts here. Have we mentioned that there's a movie? Yeah. <laughs> By the way, super excited for this. We read the point one the other day, or last month. Loved it. Can't wait for more. This is going to be fantastic. Joe Patrick, what is your pick for next week? East of West, number one from Image Comics, written by Jonathan Hickman with art by Nick Dragoda. Here's your solicit. Out of the wasteland, the things that divide us are stronger than the things that unite us. A sci-fi western set in a dystopian America where all hope for the future rests in the four horsemen of the apocalypse, who just happen to be trying to kill the President of the United States. (laughs) This sounds like they're making it up as they go. (laughs) (laughs) One of the most exciting new books of the year, this is East of West, a brand new ongoing monthly comic from the award-winning team of Marvel's FF, Jonathan Hickman and Nick Dragoda. I'm on board for anything new by Hickman. Well, that... I don't even know why I need to explain it. I don't care who wrote this. If you read me that solicit, I went, well, I'm reading at least five (laughs) issues of this. (laughs) Very cool. The THN trade paperback pick for next week is Star Trek The Next Generation Hive. Collecting the miniseries by Star Trek TNG TV writer Brandon Braga and artist Joe Caroni. Oh, and special shout out, our buddy... Eric White did some coloring in the final issue. Hey. How about them apples? You're putting a couple bucks in Eric White's pocket That's when right. you pick this up. So, hey. At Geeky White Guy. There you go. Great guy, that Eric White. This is Brandon Braga revisiting the board. This was a super fun, good read. And I swear, it just finished like two months ago. No, like, try two weeks ago. Yeah, like, boom, trade paperback. Right. Way to go, IDW. Getting it out there. Of course, we want to know what you're looking forward to next week. So be sure to tell us and leave us your final four picks over at our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash two-headed nerd. I finally got it. You did it. You can just say slash. You know that. I did. I loved Red Booth's backslash. It was a great book. (laughs) Before we move on, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor. The Two-Headed Nerd Comic Cast was brought to you by Ape Entertainment. Since 2003, Ape has been bringing readers original and licensed comics and graphic novels like Pocket Gods, Strawberry Shortcake, and the upcoming return of Drew Hayes' Poison Elves, which continues the saga where it abruptly ended back in 2007. Look for Poison Elves, available at a comic book store near you now. Check out ape-entertainment.com for more. Thanks again to Ape Entertainment for sponsoring THN. If you'd like more information about sponsoring the show, send an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com with the subject line, we want to give you money. Or you can do sponsorship. Either one works. It's that time of the month again where Matt and I both get a little moody, our breasts ache, and all we can think about is soothing our cramps by eating copious amounts of chocolate and laying around while reading an entire trade paperback. It's a period joke. I get it. We're I'm very gender periods. sensitive. <laughs> I'm really sorry. This month on Take a Look, it's in a book. We are peeling back the pages of Alan Moore's return to the League of Extra Gentlemen with his latest offering. The League of Extra Gentlemen? Extra Gentlemen. Okay. Just get read it? what it's it says. It's a joke. Just read what it says. The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Verse. There you go. Great. <laughs> With his latest offering, Nemo, Heart of Ice. I'll do the comedy on the show. Thank you. This is not, in fact, the adventures of the Captain Nemo we knew, but his daughter, Jenny Dakar, who has inherited the title of Captain of the Nautilus after ripping off cargo from Charles Foster Kane, a name you might recognize from Citizen Kane. Kane sends his own group of what I can only guess is even more obscure literary characters. Yeah, of course they are. (laughs) To track the new captain down on her way to the South Pole where her father went mad and met his fate. Kevin O'Neill is one of the reasons that I continually buy The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and I have not been very happy with the last few. They've spun off into just the absolute bizarre. But I've stayed with it because I like Kevin O'Neill so much and he, again, is just amazing here. His tech, his character designs, his monsters, it all works so well that as a reader, I didn't even notice that the mishmash of Jules Verne and H.P. Lovecraft and who the hell even knows what else. It's, it's the, yeah, it's you the... You would never know that they're... The n- Jules Verne, Citizen Kane crossover you didn't know you wanted. <laughs> yeah. You would never know that none of these stories occurred together. He, I can't imagine what it's like to work with a guy like Alan Moore, who is 
buck wild insane <laughs> to get his scripts and have to build a world around it. I mean, there's a section of this story where they're going to the South Pole and they pass through this area where there's these people with animal heads that speak French backwards. <laughs> you know, like Yeah. And it's literally like a two page spread. And O'Neill, I mean, you can tell he he just rolled with it, man. He got the script and went Okay, <laughs> and made it look awesome. It yeah. was great. The book is beautiful, uh, and that's never been my problem with League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. My problem is, and it's not even the uh, the uh, super uh, obscure literary references. Like I know I'm I'm not as well read as Alan Moore. I know I'm not going to get everything. Right. I'm going to get some of it. I know who Charles Foster Kane is. Sure. Uh, you know, I know Captain Nemo. I knew enough to recognize Lovecraft elements creeping in. Absolutely. It's when it becomes just too dense and uh, obtuse for its own good. That's when I turn off from League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. And I thought that this dialed it way back from oh, yeah. where it had gone. This very much, The reason I brought up the Century One-Shots and even that weird book of poetry and songs and stuff that he put out. Uh, I can't remember what that was called. The Black Dossier? The oh, Black that Dossier. was volume three, yeah. Yeah. This felt very much like the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen that I love. Yeah, volumes one and two, which, while very intelligent and, and well-written, were straightforward stories that you could actually follow. Yeah, I mean, they were superhero comic stories, more or less. They were just told from the point of view of these literary characters. This is a completely stripped-down return to what's fun about the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. And really, it's not about the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen not at, at all. all. It's about one character. Yeah, who happens to be related to one of the League. Yeah, I liked it. I didn't love it. I don't know if it's going to make me come back to League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. I liked the art a lot. Uh, I thought the story was well told. I actually even read the back matter, the prose piece. I did too. Which was actually quite touching. It was really uh, good. It, it's about what happens after... Uh, with the surviving members of the adventure, we won't spoil it, but uh, I, I enjoyed that a lot of the elements of the book a great deal. There were a few things where I just went, "Okay, what is happening, Alan Moore?" Keep in mind, I think a lot of those moments that are weird and bizarre that seem like they might just be for the sake of being weird and bizarre are probably completely obscure literary references they could be you know like the animal heads speaking french backwards they could be. that's something right out of jules verne i guarantee sure it's something he mentioned now i will say it's very obvious looking at this that alan moore is a master comic book writer a master craftsman oh yeah despite you know whatever personal choices he's made with with the writing he wants to do i'm looking at you neonomicon (laughs) uh there's a the, there's a whole sequence in the book where things are happening in reverse or random order. It yeah, seems not like. even reverse. Uh, and it was brilliant, very very well paced, and it added a kind of a sense of panic and confusion. Yeah. Uh, to and it really made you feel what the characters were feeling as they passed through this weird like time distortion. And again, hats off to Kevin O'Neill who can take yeah. something like that, and which. Even reading it would be really confusing, but illustrate it in such a way that it it did make sense, and you caught on really quickly what was happening. Sure. Wow. I, th- this brought me back to League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. This reminded me of what I liked about it in the past. It reminded me of how excited I used to get about the book. And maybe this is the only thing we get, and he returns to nonsense after this. Maybe. But I really enjoyed this. I'm giving it a huge buy. I loved it. And I'm giving it a skim it because this is obviously not going to be for everybody. No, I mean fair enough. It is a it is a fourteen ninety nine hardcover. Right. Uh, I mean it's just a it's it's essentially a very fancy one shot. Uh, it's not very thick, and 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 to be honest, we kind of cheated by picking it for take a look. It's in a book. We're in a hurry, uh, but. <laughs> Uh, it is a, a hardcover. It's a nice presentation. It's a lot like the Hellboy hardcovers that Dark Horse has put out. Uh, the one-shot stories of Hellboy. Yeah. I forget the names, but you know what they are. Right. It, but that's usually a couple. They they smash a two. No, no. Like uh, there was a there was one that was uh, just like a, an original graphic novel, very very short. Very, oh, right. Much like this one. Right. That was in hardcover format, and it was cheap like this. Right. Um, but I'm giving it a skim it because this is not going to be everyone's cup of tea. And while I did enjoy a, a lot of it, there was also some stuff that kind of turned me off. So I'm, it's, I'm not as enthusiastic about it as Matt is. Fair enough. I think it was over your head because you're kind of a dummy. That's fair. Okay. Yeah.
next month on Take a Look, It's in a Book. We dive headlong into the wacky world of Jack Kirby's OMAC. I can't wait. I've never read it. Oh, boy. So if you want to read along, get to your local comic shop and grab your copy right now. Sort of break it, break it down like this. And that is it for the March Madness episode of THN. If a nerd with a gambling addiction talking comics with a nerd that doesn't even know what taking the points means, you can subscribe to this Sounds show. Sounds dirty, though. <laughs> on iTunes or at Stitcher where if you want to prove your THN love you can leave us a star rating, a written review or a Stitcher thumbs up and help us to connect with other potential listeners. We've taken a huge rating hit since I've come back because apparently you guys hate me. It's not, that's it, not it's it, true. That's not true. I'm failing. My wife told me that I'm failing. Wow. <laughs> Huge thanks to all of our donors. And if you'd like to help keep us in bracket pool money and cell phone minutes for 1 800 bets off calls, you can make your donation in any amount. Listen, gambling addiction is no laughing matter. That's why I'm not laughing about it, buddy. You can make your donation in any amount. You <laughs> just got real. Our adorable little PayPal button at twoeditnerd.com. Push the button, kids. No one has pushed it for a little while. I realize we're Stop big, it. We're a big time sponsored show now, but we still need your money. Stop it. This is that's not a. An While you're there, you can find links to our Twitter feed at Two Headed Nerd, our Skype handle Two Headed Nerd, and our email Two Headed Nerd at gmail.com, where you can send us your love slash hate mail, leave us a voice message, or ask us to review your self-published comic, be it printed, digital, cave painting, passenger pigeon message, whatever. And don't forget passenger courier pigeon. Courier pigeon. Courier passenger pigeon. <laughs> Yeah, you ride them around, you know. <laughs> and don't forget to check pitch, out man. the new content from the THN Love Slaves at TwoHeadedNerd.com. Like Girl Meets Nerd, where Casey will be scientifically breaking down her bracket picks this week. It has a lot to do with feelings, colors, puppies, you know, stuff like that. Important <laughs> things that go into guessing basketball winners. Remember to follow us on Twitter and like our Facebook page if you want to get in on the question of the week discussion. If you want to hear even more of your answers and our own, be sure to check out the newly revamped TwoHeadedNerd.com web exclusive, not safe for Jason Wynn's audio blog, the new and improved answer of the week. A lot of you have asked about whether or not this is going to end up on iTunes. The answer is we're working on it. We're working on it. It, it, We're working on it. It's complicated. You you idiots wouldn't understand. Next week, it's time for another fifth week event here at THN. We'll be discussing our top five comic relief characters in honor of April Fool's Day. And just for clarification's sake, those are comic book characters. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Tim Mayer, who drew the lovely Facebook banner that you see on our page right now. It's a gift to us that he drew in honor of our second birthday. It just took him a little while to get it to us because it's that good. Check it out right now. It's an amazing piece of art. It's really cool. Word to you, Tim. Thank you so much. I just now saw it. No shit. <laughs> and until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics. Your retailer just might kiss you on the mouth for it. This is the two-headed nerd signing off. You're not taking my line. Sorry. Whatever. I'm <laughs> carbonated.